1: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: We're in and we're off. The weekend is behind us and it's another week of Football Social Daily. Good to go here on time every single day. Not keeping you waiting for an hour and a half with some important news like some people have been doing in recent history i'm jim Sowerson, nama corn is podded up today Hey you doing Niall? i'm all podded jim happy pod monday uh, hello <laughs> hello and uh, marley anderson on the show too. hello marley
4: hello uh it's nice to see us that we're more organized than some very important people <laughs> in this country but let's uh, let's prove them wrong
1: better news as well we're going to be delivering over the next few minutes or so. Uh, Super Spurs. There's some good news for Tottenham fans. Second in the league after a 2-1 win over Brighton in the late game last night. Is it time we started to think of Spurs as Premier League title contenders? And if they are, how much of a part will Gareth Bail play in that. We'll talk about last night's game very soon. There's also two Premier League clashes tonight. We're going to be previewing Fulham versus West Brom as their two managers already find themselves battling to keep their jobs and two teams that already look nailed on for a relegation battle. Whereas at the other end of the table, it's Leeds versus Leicester City who are both looking up. We'll try and pick a winner from a game that looks like it's going to be incredibly tough to call. And As a special treat for Niall, our Pompey fan, we're going to be finishing the podcast with a floodlight focus on Southampton FC as we chat to John from the Saints podcast about events on the South Coast following their dramatic 4-3 win over Villa on Friday. Hang on, hang on.
2: I thought you said it was going to be good news.
1: (laughs) Yeah, apart from that bit for you. Good news for for everyone else. It's, it's It's good news on the South Coast right now. They're flying, absolutely flying. So we'll get the latest on Southampton very soon as well. But first, Spurs. They are second and they are looking rejuvenated at the moment. Is it time we start considering Tottenham Hotspurs as potential league winners? There was this thing a few years ago, you might remember, where Spurs always, I mean, it's probably going back 20 years, where Spurs always did well when there was a one at the end of the
2: year. And we're heading into a season where there's a one at the end of the year. No, they're not going to win the league. I don't think they are. I I don't see how they can. And the reason I don't see how they can is for the exact same point that we made on the podcast last week after their Europa League defeat to Antwerp away from home, where Jose made nine changes in Belgium. Vinicius got a start, Bale got a start, and they lost. And Deli Alley was hooked off at halftime, and they just looked dreadful, Tottenham. They looked absolutely shocking. Mm. And I know the Europa League and the Premier League are two different things, and Like we've seen from a Manchester United perspective, for example, they've been really good in the Champions League, but in the Premier League, they've been poor. And even though they're two separate competitions, I think for the exact reason that we saw in Antwerp, the way that those fringe players, Jose said after the game, that's why I don't play them because they don't deliver, which I thought was a really damning statement. But I think that's the exact Mm. reason why Tottenham won't win the Premier League. I think they're very well placed to finish top four. I think if they can keep their players fit, I think that's absolutely massive. Kane and Son, I think if they can keep those two fit, particularly Kane, because he he always has, a bit like Aguero, always has a couple of months off a season with injury. I think if they can keep those two fit and keep Gareth Bale fit as well for a season, which is going to prove challenging, I think they do have a chance. I think they really do have a chance of finishing in the top four quite easily, actually, compared, especially with the way that the season's begun for mm. the other top six sides, uh, aside from Liverpool. So, I do think they're going to be up and around it. I don't think they're going to win the title. I just, I just can't see it because of that exact reason that I just say the way that they performed in Antwerp. There's too many dodgy days for Spurs, and it's up to Jose to sort that out. And I think he's getting there because I think the sort of the back end of Pochettino's tenure, we saw more of those dodgy days and good days, and that resulted in Daniel Levy opting to make a change and bring Mourinho in. So, as for a year ending in one, um, obviously they won. The uh, the double, didn't they, in 1961, the, the FA Cup and the league double. And that's the last time that, that they've kind of won the title. And that was 60 years ago. So, you know, it's a long time coming for Tottenham. The last trophy they won was in 2008. And that was the League Cup. Um, even Portsmouth, my club, won a trophy more recently. that We won the FA Cup shortly afterwards. You know, and we've been down to League Two and back again, pretty much. We've been through the ring a big time. Wigan have won a trophy more recently recently. Than Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so, you know, you have to look at these things and think that Tottenham have underachieved. We had this discussion the other uh, day on the podcast as well. Like, if there was a European Super League, would it be Tottenham or Arsenal? Um, if you mm-hmm. had to choose one of the two, which is the bigger club? Which is the more successful? And I think a Tottenham fan messaged the podcast and said, I think Tottenham in recent years could be considered a bigger club than Arsenal. Certainly in terms of league position, you could argue that new stadium for sure. Calibre of players, I think you could argue and manager, definitely. But in terms of actual silverware, Arsenal, at least, even though they're in a bit of a a dodgy patch in terms of what they would expect as fans, they still picked up a couple of FA Cups. That's more than Tottenham have done. So I do think that it's a long time coming for Spurs and, you know, it's getting cliched now because we've said it for the last five years, Tottenham need to win a trophy. And we keep saying it because it hasn't happened yet. And it is a massive monkey on the club's back. So, you know, finishing in the top four is an achievement, but there's nothing to show for that. Only a position in the Champions League next season. And you could get drawn against some big teams and get knocked out in the first couple of games in the group stages. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I think, the league will be too much for them this season, but Jose knows his task at Tottenham is to win a trophy and that should be their aim this year.
1: It was interesting. I was having a conversation with Steve McNaughton earlier today, Marley, and he was saying that Spurs won't potentially win the league and he didn't mention any of the things that Nile just mentioned, but he did say they just haven't got the mentality. They haven't got the mentality. But I guess, does any team have the mentality of winning something until they actually win it? And surely, what the way they've fallen short at the last hurdle... Repeatedly over the last few years, that is going to help them mentally at some point to get over the line.
4: Well, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned it because I I agree with, with Steve. I think you um, it's kind of a catch twenty two situation because you haven't got the mentality to win a cup until you go and win a cup, and then you get the mentality to go on in future. So I think when Spurs got to the um, I mean starting like 2008 doesn't count anymore because it's 12 years later. Um, so it's not like they're still going to be feeding off that, that sort of uh, memory because all the squad's entirely different now. so it's not like mm. they, they can draw on that experience. Um, but the, I mean the 2019 Champions League final when they got there, I think that could have, that should have been the, the big turning point for Spurs and, and like sort of spurred them on to, to sort of say, well we are we are a really good team and we, are, we can mix it with the best in Europe, so why can't we go and win the Premier League? Um, and instead of drawing on that, they seem to still be stuck in that thing of, uh, you know, when they when they had a shot at winning the league a few years ago, and Chelsea beat them on the final day, and it handed the title to Leicester or what I can't remember what it what year it was. Now I think it was 2016. It was, mm. um, and it's kind of one of them where like that's the most recent experience they've had, um, and that was essentially a bottle job. Um, and then you look at the, the Champions League final it was probably harsh to say that was a bottle job but you, you could probably say that um, and and back it up with with facts um, so I think, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just one of them I think the one thing they do have now is a manager that will um, prioritise winning cups and knows how to do the dirty side he's trying to mm. change the philosophy um, and grind things out a little bit more than, than Pochettino um, and and his and even the people that went before him, I think Spurs haven't always been the the, the toughest side um, in terms of when you're playing them. But now it's kind of turning turning a bit uh, around a bit with Mourinho in charge, which is what you'd expect. If you think of his inter team in 2010, they were mm. if they weren't as good as you, they would kick you off the park, and they could do that as well as play pretty football and use the likes of Samuel Esso and Pandev and Stankovic and all these. Like talented players, they had the, the the dirty side as well so I think it's hard to do that over the course of a, a 38 league um, 38 game league season um, I think they're, they're good enough to win it but I think the um, the they're not, I don't think they will because I think they're they going to go quite far in the Europa League and, and playing two or three times a week is going to ultimately catch up with them I think um, we've already seen that Antwerp giving them a game in in Europe um, and and sort of pulled the wool over their eyes a little bit. But um, we'll see if, if they, they can carry on. I think if they were to win something big with this season as it is, I think it would be a hell of an achievement.
1: There were two big talking points that the game at the weekend kind of hinged on. And yet again, it comes back to VAR. Number one was the Kane penalty that gave Spurs the lead. The other talking point was probably the... I was going to say foul from Solly March on Hoyberg, but it was a judged not to be a foul in the end. Let's take the Kane one first, Niall. Did the referee get that call right? Because there are two questions there. One, whether it was actually a foul in the first place, and two, whether it took place
2: inside the box. Because even watching it in slow motion, it seemed quite unclear. That's the problem, I think, with slow motion cameras I think when you slow it down, sometimes things can look worse than they actually are. And I always use this example in cricket when sometimes the ball uh, goes to a fielder and the catch is taken very low to the ground. It looks almost, when you put the slow motion camera on it, that the ball bounces on the ground and into the hands of the fielder. In a cricket context, that would not be out. The, bat- the batsman wouldn't be out. But certainly in real time, it looks like it is out. And I think that you can do the same application in terms of VAR, where you look at it and you think, well, in real time, in inverted commas, it looks like a penalty. And in slow motion, it definitely doesn't. But obviously, the referees, when they go over to these monitors and the VAR truck, when they're looking, they have the ability to slow down the footage. And I think that that's really good when it comes to looking at contact, but it's not so good when it comes to looking at momentum and things like that. And I think velocity and force, these are all things that, you know, you could get so technical with football and giving decisions. Um, but I think mm. still, you know, even if you take all of that away and all the scientific and physics stuff out of it, you look at it and you think, it's up to the referee to make the call. And you are going to still get decisions like this, despite VAR being present. It's never going to go away because the line is always going to be in the same place. And fouls are always going to happen where it's touch and go, whether it's inside the box or outside the box. Now, unless you make the line paper thin, it's pretty much almost impossible to figure out whether it's in or outside of the box in certain decisions. I think what is interesting is the narrative that's been taken about the Harry Kane foul, particularly considering the way Mo Salah went down in the West Ham game, which you'll probably Mm. have a few gripes about, Jim, being a West Ham supporter. I don't know. It was a penalty. I mean, the way he went down was
1: ridiculous, but at the end of the day, it was a penalty. It's just it's just we don't like to see the exaggeration that players make. Sure. That's the the problem, isn't it?
2: But are players doing that because they know that VAR is likely to, you know, to to, to take their side if they are making a deal of it? And, and, you know, if the contact is exaggerated, then it gives a a massive beacon for these VAR officials to look at it and go, well, that is a, a foul. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know with the Kane I mean, was it a penalty? That's not for me to say. That's for the referee to say. I mean, my opinion's invalid because the the game's already been done. The decision's been taken now. It's so hard to sit on the fence on these sorts of decisions because you're either in or out. And I think that's the problem with VAR is you're either in the box or out of the box. And VAR isn't going to change how close it is to the penalty area. And you can draw up as many small lines and get the compass out and start doing all your algebra and everything. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's still people, human beings, referees that are making these decisions. And I think this has been mentioned on the podcast so many times over the last 12 months or so. You're just taking the decision from the man in the middle to another referee somewhere with the benefit of technology. And football decisions aren't always as cut and dried as other sports. It's not like tennis where the ball might bounce on the line and you've got Hawkeye to figure whether it's in or out. It's not like that. It's it's a fluid game where, you know, the referee has got to make a decision in a short time frame, and you know, he's got the benefit of technology, but he, they can't always get it right. And I think that's the problem. People are expecting VAR to be 100% accurate. I don't think VAR can be hundred percent accurate. And maybe now sort of with hindsight, we're looking back and we're going, well, yeah, VAR is great when it was right. And it's horrendous when it's wrong. But I think maybe too much of us expected it to eliminate every wrong decision ever. In football, And I just don't think that that was probably realistic of us when it first came into to think that. I don't know what your guys' viewpoints are on it now, kind of looking back. But certainly if it was me, I'd be fuming if I was a Spurs fan and it wasn't given. And, mm. you know, if I was a Brighton supporter and it was given, I'd be equally fuming. So, you know, which side do you take?
1: I think the real issue with that particular call was that Harry Kane was clearly looking for the penalty. And you watched the replay and he isn't watching the ball, he's watching where the defender is, he's checking over his shoulder and he's backing into him in order to kind of draw that foul, which I think's what's upset Brighton fans potentially in that game. The other talking point though, I'm sure Brighton fans are probably more pleased about, although ultimately didn't really have an impact on the game, was the non-foul from Solly Marsh and on, on Hoiberg that led to the Brighton equaliser. What did you make of that decision, Marley? Because that caused some debate in the Match of the Day studio when I was watching the highlights. They were kind of d- undersized on whether it was actually a foul or not. For me, I thought it was a brilliant challenge. I thought he got the ball. I thought he just nicked it. And if we lose that out of the game, football would not be the same sport it is. But how did you see that one?
4: Uh, I think I think you kind of you hinted at it there. Um, I think... In the modern game, I think that's a foul. Um, if you had that challenge, maybe ten times in a in a season, nine times it's probably given. Um, there's a suggestion as well, which may have some weight, that um, he was trying to. The referee was was keen to even out the um, the sort of fifty fifty calls with having having given the the Kane penalty. Um, he might have thought, well, that was, yeah, maybe I've made a mistake there, and maybe I'll let. Um, let Brighton away with this challenge by March on, on Hoiberg I, I think it was a foul Um, I don't think he gets I don't know how much of the ball he gets it's really hard to see it is, it is close even on the even on the slow-mos it's it's difficult to see whether he actually got you know enough on the ball to and then there's the thing as well about the follow-through the follow-through does catch him and these days he get sent mm. off for follow-through um, look at Milovievic on um, for Crystal Palace on, on Friday night I mean he got sent off for for a follow through um, on, I think it was Macarthur or McCarthy. Uh, sorry, um sorry, Moutinho. It was, and it's one of them now where you get sent off sometimes, even if you win the ball, um, and you, you, you get given a foul even if you win the ball. So, I think they've created this this weird sort of unwinnable situation for themselves because you know if if the player gets hurt and the guy gets the ball and then they go and score from it like Brighton did, you know where do you draw that line? It's 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 a tough one, but. For me, I I think in the modern game it's a foul. I don't think it should be, but I think I think it was. Um, Brighton probably got away with one, but as you said, luckily for for the sort of um, the way the game panned out, it didn't really make any any difference because Bill came on and and won it for Spurs. There have been some positives for Brighton so
1: far this season. I think uh, Tariq Lamptey has looked very good, a real talent for them. They've had some. Decent spells of football, but it does feel very much like a carbon copy of last season at the moment. We want like six, seven games in. There is a real gap developing between the teams who potentially will be in a relegation battle at the end of the season and the rest. If you were a Brighton fan, Niall, would you be slightly worried about how this season's going to shape up? It wasn't supposed to be like this. Last season was the struggle. This season was supposed to be the development under Potter.
2: Yeah, definitely I'd be worried if I was a Brighton fan and not because of the way they're playing because as you mentioned Graham Potter has turned the style around I think the plan was when Potter came in to replace Chris Hughton, which by the way when the decision was made a couple of seasons ago everyone thought was ridiculously harsh particularly considering Brighton mm. as a club they're not exactly a big club are they? You know, everyone was saying well what do they expect the Seagulls? They've only just got up into the Premier League Chris Hughton's kept their heads above water for the first two seasons and they've sacked him um, The problem is I think with the Graham Potter thing is they sacked Chris Hutton because they finished 15th or 16th every season. And Brighton are still finishing 15th or 16th every season. But they're doing it in a more attractive way. Um, I think the plan was for there to be progression. I think on the pitch, in terms of style, there is progression. And they've played some tough teams. Let's not forget that. They've played some tough teams. But it's the games against non-top-six opposition that I think the Brighton fans should be concerned about. They played against Crystal Palace. They absolutely dominated Crystal Palace, I thought. And Crystal Palace scored with their only shot on target, which was a Wilfried Zaha penalty. Um, they couldn't get a result. I can't remember what other team they played last week, but they couldn't get a result West last Brom. week against West Brom. There we go. Exactly. Another 1-1 draw. I think it was there, wasn't it? Uh, against West Brom at Chalbion. So, you know, they couldn't beat them. And those are the sort of games where Brighton have to be picking up more than a point. It's just... It, it has to be that way. Because otherwise, they're going to find themselves in real, real trouble come Christmas because... The games aren't going to get any easier. If you can't beat West Brom, and no offence to Crystal Palace, and I know it's a derby between those two sides, but Brighton should have beaten them. They got unlucky at the start of the season when they hit the woodwork more times than any side has ever hit the woodwork in a Premier League game against Manchester United. And they conceded after the final whistle uh, from that Bruno Fernandes penalty. So they were unlucky there. But they should have used that to to spring on. They've played Chelsea, they've played... Uh, They've played now, they've played Tottenham. They've played some difficult sides uh, in cup and league and they've put in some good performances. Mm. But good performances don't get you points. And I'm not suggesting Graham Potter should be more pragmatic and change his style. I'm not saying that at all. But certainly there should be some concern that for some reason Brighton can't seem to win. They can play well and not win. Now, they always say the sign of a good side, and this is where we need the cliché bell, is a team that can play badly and still find a way to win. Now, Tottenham uh, and Brighton last night, I thought Brighton gave a good account of themselves again, as they have done against most of the top six opposition they've played this season. However, they just can't find the three points. And I think that is a concern. That really is a concern. So I think, as you say, Brighton do need to worry. And, you know, that gap is not easy to bridge, as we've seen the kind of the way that the league breaks off into chunks. Um, We saw that last season and Brighton were kind of on the precipice of that relegation scrap. And certainly they had some tough games to end their project restart. Uh, And they managed to get the job done early with a couple couple of wins in those first games back after the restart. So they don't want to leave themselves in that position again. So certainly I think Brighton have looked good. They've looked like a solid side. They've looked like they've been able to string... Two or three decent moves together a game, and they found they've shown that they can score goals. I mean, that Tariq Lamptey goal last night was a very, very good team goal, well worked and a great finish from the young man who I think looks really bright and has a, a great future in the Premier League. But certainly, you have to start winning games. And even if Brighton play terribly in their next game and pick up a pick up a win, I think that that will certainly give the supporters a bit of relief because it will start to it would start to concern me if I was a Brighton fan.
1: Suddenly they need to start getting points on the board soon. Uh, The best bit for me last night was Jose Mourinho's comments after the game, where after Gareth Bale scored the eventual winner, he said he was going to go on to Safari and see what the Real Madrid message boards were saying about Gareth Bale, which says a lot about Jose Mourinho, the fact he's still using Safari rather than Google Chrome or something like that as well. Um, Speaking of relegation, though, we're going to talk more about two clubs that definitely look like they're nailed on for a relegation battle this season and they're in action tonight. Fulham versus West Brom. We're going to talk about tonight's game shortly. We're also going to talk about Leeds versus Leicester City. That's coming up next on Football Social Daily.
3: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Two games in the Premier League tonight. Leeds versus Leicester City and Fulham versus West Brom. That is where we're going to start. Is this the most relegation six-pointy game of all relegation six-pointy games, Marley?
4: <laughs> it certainly sounds like it, doesn't it? I think it so. does. <laughs> If you, um, if you fast forward to, to May next year, I think you'll be looking at the 19th and 20th place Premier League teams here who are going down with 20 and 23 points apiece or something like that. Um, and the, the best bit about the whole thing is Sky are charging fourteen ninety five 95 to watch it because um, it's on box office, which is... I don't think they they release the figures to, of of how many people download um, or buy this cause there this game. Any. But if it's if it's any more than thirty one, I do not understand what <laughs> what's going on with this. Um, I think
1: the lowest the lowest figure so far has been around seven thousand for a game on the pay per view, which is still I mean it's a decent amount of people, but it's it pales. Yeah, in but 1.7
4: million watched um, watched Man United Chelsea last yeah. week as a and it. it do you know what? I know we are we are taking the mick a little bit, but this does see you know when people are talking about European Super League, that that is why teams want to do that because 1.7 million people are, w- are watching Chelsea Man United, mm. and seven thousand are watching two games from the uh, you know sort of twelfth versus fifteenth or something like that in, in the Premier League when they put it on box office, which basically t- tells you that the top six have so much pulling power that it's not worth them being in the league with with the little fish as well, but. Mm. I don't know. It's 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 one of them things. It's. I mean, we'd all not want the that that to happen. And we've talked about it on previous podcasts. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens with it. But going back to the game tonight, I mean, I'm not gonna be tuning in to watch it. <laughs> but it does. Do you know what? Actually, there are actually two teams that try and play football. Like they're not. They're not kind of negative. They're not sort of. Um, they both like to to have possession, and Fulham especially um, like to to keep the ball and, and probe. They just need to find a a way through, which they struggled with against um, against Brighton last uh, last time out. Uh, West Brom did, um, and Fulham Crystal Palace a couple of weeks ago. They had somewhat like sixty five percent possession and and ended up losing the game. So it's another one of them where you've you've got, you've just got to try and feed Mitrovic and and um, Grant up front for West Brom, and it's, it's whoever can do that will probably sneak the game 1-0. Well, you say that Mitrovic
1: is key for Fulham, but he's played, started four games now for Fulham, not scored a single goal. Is he good enough to score in the Premier League now?
2: Yes, yes he is. And... You got one against Leeds. On yeah, the first he did. day. you're right. You're right. He, he is good enough, but that's be... the only one. To be fair, yeah, I think I, that's the only one. I think he is good enough. Although you need to ask questions about the way that he did leave Newcastle all those years ago. I mean, Marley, you might be able to shed more light on that. Was there any reason why he left Newcastle those years ago? Was it just you needed a bit of cash or? Uh,
4: no, Rafa Benitez couldn't couldn't trust him. He kept getting he kept he kept beating up centre backs and getting sent off. Oh and... yeah,
2: getting sent off. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, no, no you're right. Yeah, I mean, but that, I don't think that's. A bad thing. I mean, you look at the way that Diego Costa was kind of revered in the Premier League for being, you know, what we would call a shit house. Um, Mitrovic has obviously got those characteristics. He's got the ability to score goals. He scored plenty of goals in the Championship, as we know. Scoring goals in the Championship and the Premier League are two different things. But Patrick Bamford's proven that he can do both now. Um, So, you know, he's a player where certainly the chances are being created for him more regularly at Leeds than they are for Mitrovic at Fulham. I don't think the key for Fulham is up front. I think the key for Fulham is at the back. And I think that that is the issue that they've had now in the last two seasons in the Premier League. Obviously, they had a gap in between in the Championship last year. But the season before where their defence was leaky, I mean, it looks porous again this season. You just wonder whether they're ever going to keep a clean sheet, Fulham. You just, you, I just can't see how they're going to keep a clean sheet, even tonight against West Brom, who aren't mugs, by the way. I think West Brom will win this tonight, um, or at least it, will be, it won't be, will be a hammering. It'll be by one goal, probably 2-1 or something like that. But but certainly West Brom will score past Fulham tonight. I, I'm convinced of it. I'm absolutely convinced of it, you know, to the point where it's hard. They have made it's, attempts, though, Fulham. Fulham have bought in players
1: during the window, haven't they, that should see them improve defensively. Should yeah, but one of them's them injured defense. and
2: the other one hasn't been able to play yet. So I mean, it's just pointless. The when the window closed on the fifth of October, uh, and what are we now? The second of November, and they've they've not really. I mean, that's mm. that's three or four games. Can Fulham really afford to to be leaky at the back in three or four games in the Premier League? I don't think you can. If you were any team, you know. I mean, that's that's a challenge. For sides from top to bottom in the Premier League is defence, and you look at Liverpool, who are the champions. They've got to find a way to, you know, combat the injuries to Van Dijk and Joel Matip's made of made of a poppadom So you know, it's one of them things where you have to kind of <laughs> figure out where you plug your gaps. And Scott Parker, you know, he's needed some help from his owner. Um, Tony Khan said he's brought in some players, and they have done, but he hasn't been able to play them yet. But I think at the back's the issue. I mean. You know, I I kind of steer clear if I can of doing score predictions or, or, you know, predicting who's going to score and stuff like that because football's a game where you can easily be mugged off. But I'm so confident tonight that West Brom will score because Fulham are that poor at the back. I'm so confident, you know, now obviously the game's going to finish 1 0 to Fulham or something like that because that's just the way the world works. But certainly I'm confident that West Brom will score because of Fulham's defence. And I think Mitrovic isn't the issue for Fulham. I think it's at the back, and mm. you know, again, if if you're if you're under the cosh for most of the game, um, and you give Mitrovic one or two chances, if he misses two chances out of two um, or half chances, then you know you can't really blame him if you if, if you keep creating chances for him you score. It's the same with every striker. If you keep producing for him, you score. I think the problem is with Fulham. Maybe they don't create enough because they're too busy doing the defending all the time. And I think that, you know, if they can get a stronghold in a game and they can get, you know, get get a grip of things early doors and get on the front foot in the first twenty minutes or so, and maybe kind of put the pressure on West Brom and encourage West Brom to come back at them. I think that might suit Fulham. Um, But yeah, it's really difficult to see how they're going to stay up this season. They've had such a poor start, and I think getting off to a good start so key, particularly when you've just come up to the Premier League again. So. Yeah, I mean, you say a relegation six-pointer. Yeah, I think this is a more important game for Fulham than it is for West Brom. I can see West Brom winning more games this year than their opponents.
1: Well, Niall's backing West Brom to get their first win of the season and come out victorious. But who's going to get the first P45 of the season out of these two managers, Marley? They both seem like they're under a little bit of pressure at the moment. Can you see
4: them being disposed of in the near future? Uh, I can see both of them going before the season's out um I think Christmas is probably probably the time where things start to happen isn't it somewhere around sort of Christmas season uh, we're getting towards that now I think Parker will probably go first um I think just mainly because of the 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 owner they've got at Fulham um is a bit of a character is um, <laughs> a bit of a trigger happy guy um Fulham I've been for years you know they go through managers like you know I go through crisps it's crazy um <laughs> it's it's yeah it's Fulham will will they, it's the same cycle isn't it they come up they spend a load of money they go through a few managers they go back down again they come back up because the their style works perfectly in the championship as in you know they, they keep the possession they've they've got good championship level players then they get promoted and they, they end up sat the manager again. I think that's what we'll see with Parker. Um, which is probably harsh because Parker, you know, we've seen that you know, seen, seen him have success and he's he's done well, uh, to get them up, especially through the playoffs. But you well, know, football's football's a cruel game. They'll probably bring in someone else and and, and still go down. So Parker will probably be sat there in a year's time thinking, Well, why don't why don't you just let me have a go at it? Um but I, I think he'll he'll go first. Um and I think I can't see West Brom sticking with Bilic all the way to the end of the season. He's already the thing for me with with Bilic is, is last week when he um when they sold Hegazi to um to was it a Saudi Arabian club and he said um on Sun I think it was he, he was sold on Tuesday and he said in Tuesday's press conference that he said that he he was told that Hegazi was staying at the club on Sunday so that kind of suggests that the board and the manager aren't quite on you know, 100% terms uh, at the minute. So I think going forward, if results start to slip a little bit, he seems, you know, he seems like he's uh, he's probably going to get the chop. But I think whoever wins tonight, it'll mm. be the other one will get sacked first. So I would, I would, mm. it's probably more interesting than we're making it out to be, to be honest.
2: <laughs> I think you're right, Marley, because as well, you mentioned the West Brom thing. Um, Slavin Bilic actually prepared his team and prepared his tactics under the impression that Higazi was going to be there and then he turns up to training next day yeah. and he's gone he started the week before he's didn't gone he? and it's yeah. just like it's not a good sign that team. is it no it's not a good sign and how can west brom fans have any faith that things are okay between manager and board if things like that are happening and how are they going to have any chance of staying up it's going to be so much more difficult for them when things like that are going on behind the scenes um, but then again West Brom have been through adversity in the Premier League before they've done a couple of great escapes in the past used to say they couldn't do it again this year but yeah it's not good it's not good viewing is it if you're a Baggies fan and you're seeing that mm. for sure
1: yeah definitely going to be a tough season for both these clubs we'll have to wait and see what happens in terms of the manager keeping their jobs the other game tonight is Leeds versus Leicester City. Really tough game to call this one. Two teams that you could probably argue have run a little bit cold and hot depending on who their opponents are. Leicester City did really well against Arsenal last weekend, but even though you'd consider Leeds maybe an inferior team to Arsenal, and that's probably up for debate, they set up very differently. And I wonder whether Leicester City will struggle to cope with the press and the intensity that Leeds off an aisle.
2: Well, certainly at the start of the season, I said Leeds would finish in the bottom half of the table. Um, at the moment, they're 12th. Um, uh, but I don't I don't think that that's to suggest that they've been the 12th worst team in the Premier League this season. If you look at sides like Newcastle, Man City, Arsenal, all above them. Um, and I actually think Leeds have been better consistently than Manchester City this season. And they're actually a point behind mm-hmm. them. Um, people might shoot me down for that, but that's the way I see it. So, Happy to be proved wrong about Leeds United, um, but as you say, it, it, it's it's interesting to see how they'll go this time out against Leicester, side that that you know a tip for decent things this season, especially with Calvin Phillips being ruled out as well. He's so important to them. Um, Liam Cooper's come back as well from injury, which is you know a really posit- a really big positive for them. Uh, also, their new signing Diego Urente at Leeds. He's not really played much, has he? Because Uh, of an injury so I I do think you know Leeds United do have to kind of shuffle things around a little bit and and I don't think Marcelo Bielsa has any problem in doing that but as for Leicester the loss of Castagna might be big for them because as a new sign and he's coming from Atalanta and he's been really impressive. At least the Leicester fans have taken to him. They think he's brilliant. Ricardo Pereira is still out. Um, Evans and Didi and Soyuncu all still out as well for Leicester. So I think that this could be a really interesting clash, particularly the way, as you say, for Leicester, they've kind of had to rejig the jigsaw puzzle as well slightly um, to get things going for them because they're currently eighth in the table. They've lost two games so far this season. You know, they, they have back-to-back defeats and then they ended up picking up a victory last time out to kind of counteract that. But... I, I, I just don't know. Like you say, Jim, it's it's hard to call this one. Um, you wouldn't be surprised if it finished 3-0 to either team. But then again, you wouldn't be surprised if it finished a 3 all draw, um, which I think's quite exciting viewing tonight. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is one of those games where the Premier League this season, normally these sorts of games, 8th versus 12th, uh, you know, back in the day, Stoke versus Sunderland or whatever, you wouldn't be tuning into Monday Night Football <laughs> to watch those sorts of games. But for some reason this season, with the way things have gone and the way it's been absolutely upside down and crazy, Leicester versus Leeds sounds like really tasty viewing. And I think that that can only be a benefit to the Premier League, to having more teams that are performing and playing well. I mean, Aston Villa, although the kind of wheels have come off in the last two games, they're still in the top eight. And, you know, you still, still fancy watching a game uh, between them uh, and, and any of the other top six sides at this moment in time. Uh, but you look at the way that Leeds comfortably swept Aston Villa aside, 3-0 a couple of weekends ago then I do think that Leicester might have slight concerns because I think Leeds the thing is with Leeds is the way that they finish their chances this season has been exceptional Patrick Bamford's been excellent up front absolutely excellent if they can try and staff the supply to him um, I think Leicester will have more of a chance but with Noah Deedy, who's an absolute master at doing that breaking up play in midfield uh, I think they might struggle slightly Uh, I don't know what the score's going to be couldn't tell you this one could go either way but certainly it sounds like it should be an exciting game if you look at
1: Leicester City's results this season Marley they make no sense so they beat Manchester City famously 5-2 they obviously they beat Burnley and West Brom which you'd probably expect but then they beat Arsenal in that 1-0 game but then they've lost to Aston Villa and West Ham as well so it's difficult to quite know what to expect but if it's going to follow that trend you'd expect them potentially to struggle against Leeds wouldn't you?
4: Yeah, um I, I agree with with what Niall said. I think it's it's incredibly hard to call this one. Um even I'm just looking at my my fantasy team at the weekend and I, I didn't know, didn't know where this was going. So I ended up going for Bamford and uh, and James Justin in the same team in in my team, so I can't I can't win both <laughs> things cuz one of them's going to score and one of them might keep a clean sheet, but I can see this ending you know 4-3 or something. I think it's it's one of them games I think stylistically. Um it could be uh, a bit of a barnstormer. I think Leeds make make everything so um, almost uncertain because they they make the pitch really big. Um, they they they're very very brave and make it end to end. And you'd probably argue that Leicester Leicester might fancy that with with Vardy's pace on the counter attack and the likes of Madison and um, and Barnes trying to support him as well. I think that could be. Uh, it could be something that sort of gels really well into a really good game, which I think we might need after if you if you've sat watched uh, watched Fulham West Brom for two hours, you might want to you might fancy a, an actual <laughs> bit of a uh, bit of attacking football. But yeah, I think um, Le- Leicester have when they're good, they're really good. I mean, I don't know what happened against West Ham. I watched that game and. I don't know whether they just caught West Ham at the wrong time because they, they, were, they had their tails up and, and they were a bit um, sort of a, a wounded animal kind of thing and a, a dangerous animal, but he certainly didn't see that coming. I think if they'd have won that game, they'd be top of the league by now um, with the results since after beating beating Arsenal last time. So I think Leicester can... They're, they're good enough to, to shut up shop and, and to hold sort of... Um, you know, frustrate leads and not make them play the game. But tactically, it's it's probably one of the most intriguing games you can you can uh, hope to see
2: on a Monday night. I tell you what, I've just realised. You talk about fantasy teams. I've just checked mine. I've accidentally captained Chris Wood this week instead of Aubameyang and lost out on 16 points. So I'm about to go and jump off a cliff. And
1: that is a perfect illustration of how informed the football social daily pundits are. Chris Wood <laughs> as your premier, as your fancy football captain. Uh, well, I think we've called two games there. We're saying Leeds Leicester City is the one to watch, which no doubt means the golf fest is going to be. The other game, West Brom versus Fulham. So we'll leave that there and we'll switch our attention to Southampton because that's where we're going next. Our floodlight focus feature is with the Saints and we'll talk to John from the Saints FC podcast next.
3: Football's social daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily and we're travelling down to the south coast now for our floodlight focus because we're speaking to John from the Saints FC podcast. How you doing, John?
0: Uh, I'm great. Uh, you know, I think we're fourth in the table. Danny is injury news come <laughs> back; it's not as bad as expected. And uh, should we beat Newcastle United on Friday, we're going to be top of the league. So, yeah, I, I mean, if we take out all the other stuff that's happening in the world from a Southampton fans' perspective, it's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, Southampton being that high up in the league, it'd be unfair to say it's the craziest thing to happen in 2020 but I'm not sure it's far off. And it was another (laughs) win again this weekend. And each weekend that goes by at the moment, it seems to be there's yet more proof there that there's real development happening at Southampton. And there's kind of like, there's a real project taking place.
0: Yeah. And um, I think it's kind of all to do with that man, Ralph Hasenhutl. He's he's such a good manager. He's got the team playing so well. I think the transformation we've seen in James Ward-Prowse over the last kind of... 12-18 12 18 months has been sensational what he's done to Romeo over the summer i have no idea but it's it's just wonderful to watch and and the team just plays together with this belief and Everyone's, everyone's focused on doing the same thing and working in, in that team and as a unit and when you've got a team working together like that then they become greater than the sum of their parts which is what Ralph is doing, doing with our team absolutely unquestionably
1: It's always a good sign when you see development of individual players and take Ward-Prowse as an example Niall who's on the podcast, he's a Portsmouth fan and he says repeatedly <laughs> of Niall. Sorry about
0: that
1: <laughs> He says repeatedly that Ward-Prowse should be, and I'm quoting, nowhere near the England team. So I thought I'd
2: give you an opportunity to convince him that he's wrong. <laughs> he's a free kick merchant, John. That's all he's good for.
0: <laughs> I I think you know you could definitely make that argument a few years ago, but um that that it's just totally changed, hasn't it, in the in the last kind of 12, 18 months? He's added so much more to his game. He's he's stopped being played out on on the right-hand side, which has been really good for him, and he's developing into a box-to-box um, midfielder. He can tackle and foul, scuff up a penalty shot, as we saw for England um, last time round as well. And you know, he's got so much more to his game than his free kicks. And and then his free kicks were just absolutely unbelievable. Um, the I think, kind of like statistically, you're likely to get about one in ten in from those free kicks that he had had yesterday. Mm-hmm but with both of those free kicks I was 100% certain that he was going to score and, and he did and I think if you look at the England setup specifically there's lots of attacking midfielders in the England setup there's lots of defensive midfielders in the England setup but there's not many midfielders that actually do that job of going from box to box and um I think if uh, if Gareth Southgate ignores him for the next next game then you know the, I think there's James WordPress must have done something to upset him because he looks like the player that England are missing at the moment.
1: With the weekend just gone, obviously it was a dramatic win in the end, 4-3, but it was one of those games where you looked like you were in total control, but then Villa almost got back into it. If we're looking for potential weak spots for Southampton right now, is that game management side of it something that potentially teams could get some joy out of there? Maybe they can't quite close out those games?
0: Yeah, I mean we definitely switched off um yesterday there's there's no doubt about that. Um I think the the biggest thing for the the thing that saints always do is when they start believing their own hype they um they suddenly go off the boil so i think probably this friday is an example so with southampton with the opportunity to go to the top of the table and i think that's the first opportunity we've had since pochettino as manager The last time we had that opportunity arthur buric our goalkeeper tried to do a um, Cruyff croif turn uh you know whilst being pressed by arsenal and then that opportunity was gone <laughs> and i think that the biggest problem for saints is we sometimes we think we're better than we are i think when our backs are against the wall when we feel like we've got something to prove then we do really, really well. And if we start to actually believe that we could you know, be qualifying for the Champions League or that we should be up towards the top of the table, that's, that'll be where things will start to fall apart. So I just hope we sort of keep that sort of under, uh, underdog fighting spirit that has served us well um, and that pressing and that harrying and, and the fact that we're, we do better away in normal times is an example of that. It's like when, when our backs are against all that's when we're really good. So that's, that's my main worry. I think kind of is as soon as we start getting high up the table, we start to believe the hype and that's where things start to go wrong. We get, get lazy and complacent and make mistakes.
2: I must be honest, John, I've aged about 10 years in the five minutes we've had this conversation listening to you talk about your team in such glowing terms as a Pompey <laughs> fan. Um, all I will say, though, you're nowhere near the most successful club on the South Coast. Pompey are by far more successful than Southampton in terms of major trophies. Even Bury, who don't even exist as a football club anymore, have more major trophies than Southampton. Surely you've got to win a trophy before too long. It's all well and good having this great team that can you know, possibly go top of the league Next weekend, well, you're not going to stay there, are you? Let's be honest. Um, from a, from enemy lines perspective, would be surely to win a trophy to stop us a lot down the road gloating that we're more successful than you.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. We'd we'd love to to win a trophy. I mean, the FA Cup, I think, is probably our best chance of winning a trophy. Um, we didn't haven't done particularly well in the cups. Um, since Ralph Hasselbacher has been manager, although last season's League Cup was still quite enjoyable with a trip to Fratton Park where we won four um, nil. Know, great opportunity for you to kind of open that door for me to to remind you of that.
2: <laughs> well, it took you ten years, John. <laughs> um,
0: no, uh, yeah, I absolutely love yeah you know, Southampton to win a trophy. Um, you know, we got close with Claude Well, when we got to the League Cup final, it was it was a great day out, and we were kind of robbed by the referee and the. The linesman I suppose in in that match Um, but I think if we get ourselves into this position where we're kind of at the top half of the table as we did under kind of Puel and Kuhn and Pochettino before that's when we start to have players that have the confidence and belief to win a trophy so absolutely we should still focus on the league and really push at that but yeah if you gave me an opportunity would you rather get fourth in the Premier League or win the FA Cup I'd choose winning the FA Cup but having said that I'm not going to not enjoy us being in the top four and potentially going top of the table on Friday because that's that's fun it's really good fun
1: that's the point in what Hassan Hütel's doing though isn't it it's kind of a long term thing it's not about winning a trophy and then disappearing into the ether again it's about kind of building a legacy and developing the football club and moving it forward
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I think kind of when Portsmouth won the FA Cup a few years back, it financially it kind of ruined them because they all had these like 50% annual salary bonuses. And, and yeah, that disappearing into the ether has happened for them. And if Southampton were to win a trophy, you'd hope they'd do that as part of a sustained onslaught of becoming a better, more established top half of the Premier League table team who are consistently able to challenge those sort of best of the rest places. I I don't think we're ever going to have the sort of financial backing to really properly challenge that top four. So a trophy and kind of like pushing that kind of fifth, sixth, seventh position, I think is probably the best we can realistically hope for at this point.
1: You mentioned the Danny Ings potential injury after he went off with five minutes to go um on Friday night. I guess if you are going to do well this season, he's going to be instrumental to that. So it must have been a relief to hear that his scan has shown no major problems
0: yeah absolutely I mean I think we'd all pretend and style it out and say oh you know the team's playing really really well together and this that and the other but you know we, we can see the two goals after Danny Ings went off yesterday and it, lots of people that don't support Southampton think of Danny Ings purely as a goal scorer but he does so much for Saints all over the pitch he's he kind of leads he's also He's kind of the captain of the pressing, so the rest of the team take Danny Ings's cue when it comes to pressing the opposition. So he's he's totally critical, and he's made some really important challenges and um, tackles, as well as um, creating goals for other players, and then you know scoring goals. And the goal he got against Aston Villa was an absolute peach. And I think he's now yeah. the the player who scored the most goals from outside the box. Um, you know, since the start of last season and, and he's just been absolutely sensational. I think he's the f- he's definitely the first kind of world class player I think we've had since Virgil van Dijk at the club. And he's so vital. Um, the fact that his injury is not going to be kind of a really long uh, layoff is is so important and such a huge relief. I mean, that's probably the best news we can hope to get on a Monday morning.
1: John, it's been great to chat to you. We all wish you luck. Well, most of us wish you luck for the season, apart from Niall. Uh, (laughs) Where where can people find more from your podcast if there's any Southampton fans that fancy hearing more from you?
0: Yeah, it's just uh, type in the Saints FC podcast into anywhere where you get your podcasts. We're in all the usual places, Apple, Spotify, um, everywhere. But, you know, just give us a Google and you'll find us and and hopefully you'll enjoy uh, what we have to say on the Saints. Top man, John. Cheers.
1: If you're a blogger or a podcaster or a fanzine editor or have a connection with any of the Premier League clubs and you fancy taking part in Floodlight Focus, don't forget you can get in touch. Let us know that you want to be involved. You can do so via Twitter at The Sports Social. You can find us on Facebook. Just search The Sports Social or you can visit the website sports-social.co.uk. We'd love to get you on. But that is it for today's podcast. Niall, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Marley, nice one. Cheers, guys. Click subscribe, never miss an episode, and we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily.
3: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)